with spiritual nourishment. Thank you, Adam, and forgive us, those of you online, for that. We are just so deeply grateful that you would come so that we might enjoy what Jesus has to give to us this morning. And so we hope that you will deepen in your relationship with Jesus. We hope that you will discover what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. And if you're new to First Press, welcome. And we invite you to go to our website after worship and fill out the Connect card so that we can encourage you, pray for you, and offer you any help that you might need. This morning, we also have created a touchless and safe experience for you. So if you need to leave the sanctuary, we ask that you would go through the back, center, double doors, or use the doorway adjacent to the piano. For those of you online, this is a great moment to go get wafers, cookies, crackers, whatever you have, as well as some juice, milk, water, it doesn't matter, so that we can all share in communion together. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we need your amazing grace. We need, Lord, your amazing strength and your amazing mercy. Jesus, we are navigating a complex time and we are straining as we seek to walk through this moment, Lord. It's confusing, it's overwhelming, it's difficult, but we know that you invite us to put our eyes on you, Jesus because you know the way through. You know how to get us to the other side. Lord, we also know that that means that we don't have to understand everything in order to believe and trust in you, in your faithfulness. This morning, Lord, we ask that you would keep educators strong, that you would encourage parents and keep children and teenagers 
joyful. We ask that you would surround those who are unemployed and business leaders, Lord, with a deepening sense of encouragement that can only come from you. Our hearts are so full of gratitude as we consider the growing health that is happening with our friends, Jamie Atkinson, Hank Floyd, and Jerry Denny. Thank you, Lord, for the improvement of their health. We pray for Jackie Faircloth, asking that you continue to come alongside her. And Lord, give her a sense of your powerful presence, your loving goodness. Heal her, Jesus. Lord, we also think about those we know who don't know that your presence is real, that your power can change circumstances, that you can create hope when it feels hopeless. Lord, use us as a bridge in their lives. Use us, Lord, to love them into the kingdom. Father God, we are here because of you. So help us, Lord, to soak in and drink in and feast on every word that we sing, every word that we hear, every word that you say to us this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Morning, First Pres. Let's stand up this morning.
Good morning for folks who are with us online, Facebook, YouTube, and just clicking right on the website, and for folks here in the room on this great, beautiful, fantastic day, welcome. I have a FP 2.0 update for you, just reminding you, First Pres 2.0, we've been praying and fasting for well over a year, asking the question, God, where do you want us? And we mean by that, of course, physically, where do you want us? And we're on our way to a new place. But I want to remind you that we're working when we pray and when we fast under a slightly larger umbrella than, than only the building. The building is fantastic. It's a tool that God uses. But here's what we want to be. We want to be people that love people in our community, where we live, where we work, where we play, where we socialize, where we study. And we want to love them well. People who we think may be really far from God, people who are close to God, and everybody in between. And the building is a part of how we do that. We're going to bless our community with our building, as we already have been since 1884, but in a new place. That's what's going on here. So I'm reminding us that there's nothing new in terms of real estate or anything like that. On we go, praying that God will make us into a family of people that really do a great job of caring for other people and the building will be a central piece of how that happens. I want you to be thinking about every day at 7.07 a.m., 7.07 p.m., praying either or both, but also this Wednesday, which is the first Wednesday in October, we're going to be fasting. And I want to invite you to fast. Skip breakfast and lunch on Wednesday. Eat dinner Tuesday night. Don't eat again until dinner Wednesday night. And what you'll find if you fast is this. You and I will be hungry, but you'll also begin to sense your dependence on God. And the need to know that we must always and every day and regularly surrender, that puts you and me in a place that makes us available to, to God to be used. Let's be people that love other people really well, the way Jesus loved them. People in our lives where we live and work and play and study. And we will be people that God will use to make a difference in this community. And let's pray that our building will be a fantastic tool in God's hands to help us do all of that. That's FP 2.0. Thank you. Did you know that 15 million followers of Jesus in the United States are not registered to vote? And that four years ago, 30 million Christians who were registered to vote didn't vote. We know that in Galatians 6, the Apostle Paul said, whenever you have the opportunity, do good. Voting is a way of putting our faith into action and doing good in the world. And in a world that might be tempted to convince us that one vote doesn't matter, it does matter. Because each and every life is of infinite value and worth to the Lord. The Apostle Paul also said in 2 Corinthians that God loves a cheerful giver. And I have been so deeply inspired by all the ways that you have been giving back to God with cheerful, heartfelt generosity. It has been powerful to watch. And you have been ensuring the ability of us as a church to reach the most vulnerable and meet needs like never before. So here are five ways that you can continue to have an impact one life at a time with the hope of Jesus. As we stand and continue to worship, everyone can stand. And um, we are going to be singing a song that Matt introduced uh, not too long ago called It Is Well. And God is so good because this song was selected through prayer weeks in advance, but it fits so perfectly into this week's sermon and even our reading material. It, this song reminds us of a storm, and this is something that played in my head at thinking of a storm. And it reminded me of a time in my own life when I experienced a storm, a literal storm. My family had gone on a cruise ship and we encountered this storm that was terrifying. It was so powerful that experienced sailors and captains that had not ever gotten seasick were knocked out. It was so powerful that an entire floor had been cleared out because water had breached 
that level. It was so disorienting and paralyzing that people were laid out all over the floors, on those stairs, in the lobbies. And as I, I thought about this storm and, and what my family experienced, we go through storms in life and it's not always a literal storm. It may be a physical storm where our health isn't where it needs to be. It may be emotional, an emotional storm where we have hurt, forgiveness, unforgiveness, despair, anger, and we don't see a way out of this darkness. It may be relational. It may be between a husband and a wife. It may be between a coworker, a boss, or even a parent, between a parent and a child. And though it may seem like the clouds are closing in and there's no way out, we are reminded through this song that through it all, our eyes need to be locked in on Christ, the one who loves us, the one who knitted us in our, uh, our mother's womb, the one who can stop the storm, but can also take us through the storm victoriously. So I encourage you as we sing and worship to surrender your hearts, surrender your eyes and focus them on Christ, on the Lord who loves you and is in control. Let's sing together now. Lord, turn his face toward you. Moved by the sound of his voice. And seas that are shaken and stirred. Can be calmed and broken for my grief.
Thank you. Jesus and Moses, they're playing golf. Ooh, they're at Augusta National Golf Club in Augusta, Georgia, the home of the Masters. If you've ever been there, ooh, if you don't know anything about golf, you're still going to get this story, though. Unbelievable. They play their round. They come off the 15th green. They come to the number 16. Number 16, where the pin is today, it's back left where it is on Sundays, about 175 yards from the tee box where they are. And Moses takes out a six iron. And Moses, it's, it's carry water all the way to the green from the tee box. And Moses takes out a six iron, hits it, it lands 10 yards short of the green, just ploosh right in the water. He drops another ball, hits that ball, same spot, the wrinkles from I mean, the ripples from the first one, he lands in the middle of those. He says, six is not enough. I got to get a five iron. So he pulls out a five iron, hits a good shot, sticks it up pin, pin high about 20 feet to the right, up the hill. That's Moses. Jesus comes up to the tee box. He says, you know, I've seen a few Augusta, I've seen a few Masters tournaments. You know who I like a lot? I like Jack Nicholas. And Jack would hit a seven iron here. So Jesus drops a ball, tees it up, pulls out a seven iron, hits it, lands the ball short even of Moses' ripples. He says, no, no. He pulls out another ball. He drops it, hits that one, lands in the same place, drops a third ball, hits another ball with a seven iron, and it lands right in the same circle of ripples of his first two. And then Jesus just shakes his head and then just takes off and walks straight across the pond to the spot where his balls went in the water. Well, with all of the guys re-hitting, when Moses and Jesus so many shots, the guys that were on 15 get up to the 16th tee, and in sort of a stage whisper, one of them says, who does that guy think he is, Jesus Christ? And Moses turns back and looks at him and says, no, he thinks he's Jack Nicholas." It's just a joke. But we do have a walking on water story. And I'm cracking a joke about it. But today we're going to find out that this is something we can really be daring to believe. And we're in the book of Mark. And we've been running with Mark. And the reason I say running is because Mark just is, he's kind of sprinting through the life of Jesus. And we just came off a miracle. And that one themes in our look at Mark's gospel. And we're going to see them again this morning. Two or three themes that we've been making sure we talked about. The first theme is the kingdom of God. And what we mean by that is God's realm, God's rule. That God is running things. And things are going, maybe you could say it this way, the way God want them, wants them to be running. And we're seeing God's kingdom sort of become more obvious or more present in our reality. So that's one theme that's taking place here. And the second theme we've used is a theme, we'll call it Mighty Messiah. We're having a little fun and what we mean by that is Jesus is saying, I am the anointed one sent by God to make God's kingdom, God's realm, God's rule happen. In me, it's taking place. And so those two ideas of Messiah and kingship are both bound up with each other. You don't want to pull them apart too far. Let them sort of live together because they're doing this with each other. And then we've said, what's our response? And our response is to follow. That's what we do. See, God is doing the heavy lifting. God is doing the kingdom making. God, God is doing the Messiah anointing. And you and I are courageous enough. We dare to follow. So we're calling it daring discipleship. And that's what's going on in the story we're about to read about Jesus walking on water. And that's what if you, we've been bouncing through other stories where all these things are getting cooked together by Mark on purpose. And so what we've also said about Jesus, and it's reflected here, is that there's a key verse, and we've reviewed this repeatedly, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. It goes like this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's in front of us. It's with you in your home right now, whatever you have prepared to share in the Lord's Supper. The body and blood of Jesus, and I point now to an empty cross that's behind me on the wall. Jesus gave his life for us, and so we see those three themes plus this defining verse. 
is a part of how Mark wants us to get the whole thrust of his message. And today we get a chance to see another fantastic episode in the life of the Messiah as the Messiah brings the presence of God, the kingdom of God, the rule of God into our experience in a way that just hadn't been the case before. And we're in Mark chapter 6, and we're reading verses 45 through 52, a, a episode that has a lot for us today if we want to know how to respond as daring, as having courage. And that's what we're going to do. So here, here we have it. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. Immediately shows up a bunch of times, this little Greek adverb, over and over and over again. Immediately after what? Well, here's what had just happened. And again, as we run with Mark, we're panting because it's hard to keep up with him, and he's just going through so much. What had just happened in Mark, uh, the previous episode? Jesus had taken one kid's lunch and miraculously turned that lunch into enough food for four or 5,000 people to eat it. In fact, there was so much that there were 12 baskets of food left over afterwards. And there's no way around this. It's simply a miracle. And we're breathing, panting, running, keeping up. That's what we're doing here as Mark takes us through all this. Again, it's the Messiah. God is present in some new way. And we're being asked to trust that there's some new dimension of reality that, that we don't really fully understand, but here it is in front of us. So that's what's happening here. And notice it says he dismissed the crowd. I just want you to know what that means is he sends the guys, his, his followers, his executive team, his senior leadership team, he tells them to get into the boat and they start paddling. The boat was on the lake, the Sea of Galilee. It's, they were fishermen. This was their office. They were familiar with this lake. This is not troublesome for them. They know how to get in the boat. They know how to fish. They know how to paddle. So getting in the boat for them was just ordinary business, even in the dark, even at night. But he dismisses the crowd. I want you to see the hospitality, the warmth. So there's this large group of people who are hungry. He feeds them miraculously, and he says, okay, it's time for the, the party to end. So he, the, the guys are in the boat rowing. The crowd is dispersing, and after leaving them, he goes up onto a mountainside to pray, does Jesus. And you may be scratching your head, say, what, 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 what? I thought... I thought you people thought that Jesus was God. Why would he be talking to himself? Great question. Fantastic question. And here is how I would respond to that very excellent thought. What we want to say when we look at this stuff happening, when we read the Bible, we get all of this experience about who Jesus is, all these episodes, stories. And what we see is that Jesus is fully human and fully divine. Fully human fully divine, fully a man, fully God. And what we want to do this morning is let that be a mystery that we're willing to just live with it. And what I mean by that is don't try to understand it completely because we can't. Don't give up on it either, though. Don't try to say he's only one or the other because, see, the Bible won't ever let you do that. It keeps showing us things that are real human and things that are also not human, divine, of God. And we're in the middle of it right now in this episode. And I want you to let that be how you approach Jesus. You, don't, you can't and don't and won't ever fully understand it. And so I, I'm using the word mystery not to say quit thinking about it, but to say if you're waiting to understand it fully, I just don't think you ever will. It doesn't mean turning the brain off either. It means keep going, keep reading, keep thinking, keep trying to make sense of it. So there you have the fully human one, the fully divine one, the anointed Messiah, the person in whom the presence of God's reality, the kingdom of God, are showing up. He goes up to pray. And if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for you and me. I want you to want to pray. He was tired. He'd been working hard. His compassion for all these people. And he just needed to recharge. Jesus recharged. If you read Mark and all the stories about Jesus... All the time, he's pulling away daily to be alone with God. And you and I must do the same thing. God will do the heavy lifting, but you must choose to put yourself in God's presence by simply pushing everything else aside and just be quiet with God on a regular, personal, daily basis. That's what he does. That's what we do. Here's what happens next. Later that night, that boat was in the middle of the lake. Jesus is alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars. 
they're, they're fighting a headwind. Again, this is something they're accustomed to. Okay, and they're making their way from the point A to point B. Again, I think this might be not unlike our waterfront over here. It might be no further than like paddling against the wind from the Davis Island over to Ballast Point or something like that. It's not a huge distance, but it would be to walk it. So that's what's happening. They're making their way across a relatively small body of water, but in a stiff wind, and it's work. They're, it's hard work, and they're tired. It's late. Shortly before dawn, here it comes. He went out to them walking on the lake. He's walking on the lake. Now, I want to I make sure you understand something. If you read this thing carefully, and as I read it in the original language, which is Greek, let me tell you two things this isn't. It's really clear from the language. This is not what some people have said. Some people say, well, people can't walk on water, so let's find another way to explain it. What they say is, he's, it's an optical illusion. He's on the land. It just looks like he's on the water. No. The Greek verbs do not allow that to be the case. Other people have said he's on a sandbar out in the middle of the lake. There are no sandbars out in the middle of that lake. That, here's what that is. That's a person, God bless them, who simply cannot allow the possibility of something beyond our, our scientific way of measuring things. And so here's what I'm trying to say again. Mark wants us to get into the world comes the God dimension. And it's not saying our scientific way of seeing things is wrong. It's just saying there's more to reality. There's more to the universe than what you and I can uh, measure in, in, in a way and taste and smell. Our senses give us true things, but there's more to it than the scientific method. That's what he's saying. And let me just encourage you to do this. Tr try to trust God enough not to whittle down these puzzles into something that you now have an answer for. When we take a challenge or a problem, an intellectual one, and we just start removing things like, oh, it was just a sandbar. Well, the next thing you know, we've whittled it down to something we can understand. You know what that really is? It's a subtle move, but I just put myself in charge of the universe. That's what I did when I did that. I made myself the person who can decide what is and isn't. When I insist that the only way that God can communicate with us is in the dimension that you and I have to live in, which is the physical dimension that we measure things. But there's more to the universe, Mark is saying. There's more to the universe, Jesus is saying. He's taken bread and miraculously multiplied it. He's, uh, he seems to be defying the laws of physics. He's walking on water. And what we want to do is just let that be a reality. And maybe you've had a touch of it in your experience, in your life. Maybe you've experienced something that's sort of past your ability to understand it. I think you probably have. And that's what's going on here. And Jesus is trying to say, I am the one that you've been waiting on. So he walks on the lake. And here's its next line is so good in this, in this part of the passage. He was about to pass them by. Now, people read this and they go, well, what does that mean? It's almost kind of puzzling. And so it seems like, well, they're in the boat. They're pulling at the oar. And Jesus just cooling on on by him, you know, and say, yo, boys, what's up? And keeps moving. See, that's, that's how you and I might read it. But let me explain something. This is a hyperlink for Jewish ears to really cool stuff that happened a long time ago. When the, Mark says he was to pass by them, guess what Mark is doing? Stapling Jesus walking on the water to Moses encountering God on, the, on Mount Sinai getting the Ten Commandments. It says in the book where Moses is given the Ten Commandments that the presence of God passed by. In other words, what Mark is trying to say that Hebrew ears would have heard loudly, and I'm helping us to see it now, is that this is connecting Jesus' presence on that lake with God's presence on the mountain. The glory of God, it says literally in the Hebrew text. And glory means presence. It means what I've been saying. Kingship, the realm of God, the presence of God has showed up. God is fully present. And we get to watch. In fact, we get to experience God's presence. And I'm pointing at the table with the elements that represent the Son of Man who did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life. So the glory of God shows up when Jesus is on the water. And they are confused, puzzled, and as we can see now, scared. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They're scared to death. They cried out, 
because they, they all saw him and were afraid. They're yelling. They don't know what to think. Immediately, he speaks to them. Watch these three phrases carefully. Take courage. And from here, that's why we say daring discipleship. Be brave. Take courage. You don't understand what's going on in front of you, but don't quit. Trust me. Keep going. Stay there. And then he says, it is I. Another hyperlink. Watch this. All these Hebrew ears that hear this the first time, the first followers of Jesus, remember, are Jewish people. And they hear this. This is in the Greek language and now in English. It is I. It's a hyperlink to God giving Moses God's own name, Yahweh. In the Hebrew language, it is I. In the Greek language, it is I. In English, it is I. Jesus is on purpose linking himself to God having named himself in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. Kaboom! Of course God's presence is scary and frightening. And there's no way I can understand it all. That's what's happening in his passage. And Mark is just sprinting through this kind of stuff. And here he is. And he says, it's scary, but don't be afraid. And so, daring followers of Jesus, the challenge that you and I have here is to just stay in the boat and keep pulling. That's what we do. Notice what happens next. Jesus climbs in the boat with them. The wind dies down. That's not unusual on this lake to have squalls that come up quickly and then, dis- then, then go away quickly. They're completely amazed, stunned, and always in the story of the Bible. And the Bible, by the way, is a unified story. Don't ever let anybody tell you it isn't. It's a unified story. It's not all easy to understand. It's a unified story, and it's pointing us to Jesus, period. That's what it is. And there are always, always people encountering God and getting confused. It's okay. If you want to feel at home not having certainty about everything about your life and about faith, look at here. Jump in the boat. You're in there with us. I'm in there with them. And the challenge is not that we can understand everything and explain it. That's not it at all. The challenge is just to stay in the game. Keep pulling. He climbs in the boat with them and the wind dies down. They're completely amazed. And then look at this next line. For they had not understood about the loaves. They didn't understand what they had just seen, this miracle. They didn't understand the miracle of the walking on the water, and they certainly hadn't understand the previous miracles. So you're thinking, wait a minute, these guys have been running around him for a couple of years. They've seen it all. Why don't they understand? And I'm saying back, I don't know. I'm not sure you and I would have done any better because it's not easy. You're, we're talking about the presence of the creator of the universe showing up and doing things that we normally can't see done. And being completely, being confused and amazed and even scared is an okay part of being a daring disciple. So don't feel left out if all of it doesn't make sense to you. Don't feel left out if there's a circumstance, a wind, literally or figuratively in your life, a headwind, a difficulty, a challenge, a circumstance. It could be somebody you care deeply about who's so far from God and you want them to know the love of God and you're just being their friend and trying to build a continuing good relationship with them. Or it could be somebody in your family who's hurting or it could be somebody you know who's addicted to something or it could be a relationship that you're near that's falling apart and there's been hard stuff done in a relationship. Whatever it is, keep pulling. That's what we do. We just hang in there. And yes, it's scary. But the almighty God of the universe is showing up again and again. And here he is in the story. In the last phrase I wanted to comment about, it says, their hearts were hardened. And what I want you to understand is this. What this word heart for them means, let me say something about the first century in the eastern Mediterranean, Palestine, and what they thought about human anatomy. What you and I know is cognition, choosing, All of that, that's going on up here inside our brain. We know about synaptic transmissions. We know all that stuff. You know what they thought your head was? Something pretty for some of us on which you put a hat, the crown. They thought here, heart. In Hebrew, the word is lave. In Greek, cardia. In English, heart. In heart in the Bible is where cognition and choosing and will volition. That's where that stuff happens. In here, and a little further lower in sort of your guts, that's where more emotion is. So when you and I hear heart, we think emotion. In the Bible, heart means understanding. 
and choosing. And so what, what we're saying here is they had not been able to fully understand it. In their heart, they didn't understand completely what was going on. And I'm glad, because I don't either. And I doubt that you do. But that doesn't mean we quit. I think it's kind of funny. If, you, if it's okay with you, I'll say this. I think these guys rowing, I think this is just their life group having an outing, a field trip. We're selling life groups because you know what? This is a team sport, what we do, this following Jesus thing. We do it together. There are other people in the boat. This is not something we do alone. And I think these guys are trying to make sense of it, and they're friends, and they really know each other well, and they're just pulling away at it, just trying to stay in the game. And that's what I hope is happening with you, with a, with a person who's a follower of Jesus, someone you're close to where you can talk about real things, or if you're in a group. And maybe you're not in a group, but you want to get in one. And I, I think that's the, this is a, something we do together, and we don't fully understand. And, and Mark says their hearts were, their understanding was clouded, was blocked, because it, they, they didn't completely understand it. And that's okay. Here's what I want you to know that Paul, our great buddy, says about not fully understanding. And Paul writes a letter to some Christians in a little Greek town called Philippi. And he says in chapter 3, about verse 13 or 14, he says about himself, I don't fully get it. I don't have this thing all figured out. I am not complete. I'm still a work in progress. But I press on. Beautiful Greek verb, dioko. I press on. And then he says the famous verse that you've all heard in, in chapter 4. Philippians 4, 13. I don't understand everything, verse thir- uh, chapter 3, but I keep working at it. Verse Chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Jesus who strengthens me. What Paul is saying is, yeah, it's, roaring, it's against a headwind, life, understanding, but I can hang in there. Not because of me. God's doing all the heavy lifting. I'm not doing the heavy lifting. Another way we want to say this, my friends, is this way. You don't have to understand everything. I don't have to understand everything to believe in something. And here we are being invited to believe in the presence of the Almighty God. We've described it as glory. We've described it as kingdom. We've described it as God's reign or rule. And we said, Jesus, Messiah, that means making it happen in his person, what he says and what he does and who he is. That's what's going on here. And you just simply hang on. What you and I do is we hang on. Never heard anybody complain about how God makes life different and makes me different because I stayed close and I hung on. Never heard anybody say, I wish I hadn't have done it, ever. You have no idea what's going to happen next, nor do I. But I know this, the Messiah is somebody I want to hitch myself to. That's what I want to do. Uh, I want to point to what's coming next, if I could, because this is a part of your homework. How do you stay attached to Messiah? One of the ways is you just get the book out and read it. I want you to begin to read Mark so that you find yourself panting like I am right now because so much is coming at you so quickly. And we're on our mark. We're running through this thing. What's coming next and is up on the wall. You can get your phone out and take a picture of it and go to the website. It's on there. We send it to you with an email. We're going to read next week Mark chapter 8, verse 27 through Mark chapter 9, verse 50. And then below it are the verses we're going to focus on next Sunday morning. I want you to do that. I mentioned earlier that Jesus needed to be alone with God and pray. So do you. So do I. Use this book to help you connect with Jesus Christ. But back to the presence of God in the Messiah who did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Back to the loaves. Because, see, let me explain something to you. When people in the first century began to remember, as Jesus asked us to do, about the loaves, guess what? They could easily have been reading the story we just read on top of the story about the loaves in the previous chapter. And here it is. Jesus is somehow mysteriously present right now. He's here. Now, this is bread, and this is grape juice, but he's here. And we believe that because we've already decided that what we've just read about is real. And we don't fully understand it, but here he is. Just a little bit of housekeeping. So that we have a touch-free experience, we have these ways of sharing together in the, in the Jesus meal. So the, there's a small wafer underneath this tinfoil tab. What we're going to do is we're, you're going to be in a moment. The usher's going to help you come forward. 
right? And you're going to be, so we keep a safe distance. You're going to come and get one and return to your seat. And then I'm going to remind us of the meaning of the body of Jesus, the bread. And then we'll all take that at one time together. And then after we've all done that, I'm going to, and we're going to be reminded of the meaning of the blood and we'll take it together. There are little gray bowls underneath the pews uh, so that we don't spill. And so this is for you to drop your empties after you're finished. Does that make sense? Again, the ushers are going to help you know when to come forward. And we will do this together so everybody will grab one, return to your seat, and then, not quite yet, let me, not quite, thank you. Um, I want to remind you, I want to remind you of this and of this. Jesus is with those same guys in the boat, that life group. Those people who've been doing life of following Jesus together for three years. And he's with them. This is Thursday night before his death. And he takes a piece of bread and he breaks it. Powerful symbol. This body. I mean, this bread is my body, going to be given as a ransom for you and for many. When you eat it, I will be present as you remember what I've done for you. He also took a cup there at the meal, and he said, this cup represents my blood, which will be spilled for you because my presence lights up my, the glory of my reality in the universe. The world, the universe is bigger than just spilt blood. It is me giving my life for you. When we eat and when we drink, what we're saying is, oh yeah, I can see beyond my senses to the big reality of the God dimension of all of life. So friends, eat and drink, knowing the goodness of God, the presence of God, the presence of God's kingdom. The ushers will now help you line up and come forward and then return to your seats and then we'll do this all together. gluten-free if you need a gluten-free wafer. to the waiver at the top, taking it out and being reminded that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life, his body, as a rescue for us. And then reversing 
in opening to the juice. This is the blood of Jesus, the presence of the Almighty God, the presence of God's kingdom spilled for you and for me so we can be new, daring disciples. Allow me to pray for us. We thank you, gracious God, that you have made a way for us. We see you at work in the lives of people around us in our own life, and we remember the meaning of your death and resurrection, brand new life, the presence of the kingdom, gracious God, the Messiah, new life, our new life. We want to be people brave enough, courageous enough, fear notwithstanding. We, can't, we stay in the game. We keep pulling. We're never going to understand it all. But gracious God, we understand enough to believe. So we thank you that we get to be people who bravely follow Jesus. And you will use us to love other people the way we have been loved. And this is the purpose for our existence. Thank you that we can be a family and love each other well as we love others well. Thank you for the gift of life that you've given us in Jesus Christ, in whose name this morning we have gathered and celebrate. Amen. A housekeeping detail, we're going to stand and sing, and ushers are going to dismiss you so that we don't all crowd out. But if you're a parent and you have a kid, a kid there, just take off now and go get them, and that way that'll make it a little easier with the rain. So please stand and hear this last good word. Friends, dare to follow Jesus. Dare to believe even when you don't fully understand. Be the people of Jesus in your life, in your world. And all of God's children said, yeah, I'll do that. This is amazing.